Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillah. Vessalatu vesselamu ala Resulillah ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve men vela. Welcome everybody to the Safina Society Nothing But Facts live stream where we're going to try to do this. Pull off the stream with the crying baby in the background and hopefully someone will quiet him down. But we are on the humility of the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. And here we go. <clears throat> Hadith number 320. In terms of the bab, it's uh, bab number 8. An Anas ibn Malik radiallahu ta'ala anhu qala qala rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. لو أهدي إلي كراع لقبلت ولو دعيت عليه لأجبت. The Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam has taught us by his actions as well as uh, other things is that the we should accept the invitation regardless of how lofty and not the invitation is. Okay. Hey, uh, Habib, after you set up, can you take him downstairs until Ryan comes? Just uh, stay, sit with him in the in the other room. Okay. Yeah, maybe. He says, even if I am given the foot of a goat and invited to have dinner on with a dinner of a foot of a goat, I would attend. Okay. Muhammad ibn Bashar, Rahman, Sufyan Muhammad ibn Actually bring him bring him to me. Just bring him to me. Yeah, just bring him to me. قال جاءني رسول الله صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم ليس براكب بغل ولا برذون. Okay, we got a napkins here. Plenty of napkins for that runny nose. Stick that, stick that little bad boy right here. Okay, يا محمد. That's for them. Okay. All right. All right. This hadith states that the messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم would not always be seen riding something uh, luxurious or, or, or what you would imagine a king or, or, or a ruler to ride. Okay? So sometimes he would come on a mule, sometimes on a horse, and sometimes walking. So the Prophet ﷺ, from his humility, is that he went the opposite ways of kings and all these types. He would walk. He would ride a, a humble mule. When he came to Mecca, one of the signals that the Prophet ﷺ is not going to come in as a king that's going to kill everybody and take over is that he came on a mule. He came on a, a, a mule. He didn't come on a, a big, dark, black horse saying, okay, this is conquest. Or a white horse saying, look at everyone, look at me, I'm your chief here. He came on a mule. And that was a signal. This is coming with humility. This is a fatah. That is a necessity. A fat is a victory without violence. Nusra and Nasr is victory after that there's after violence. In other words, after war, after struggle. So that's the difference between the word fat and the word nasr. Nasr is victory after fighting. Fat 
is victory without fighting. It's peaceful. Uh, I want to point to you different words. Like there's nust and there's fatah. Okay. What is, di- what is a, uh, another difference between nefs and hawa? Totally separate from this discussion. And nefs, it reflects the desires of the human being that he's born with. That exists from the time of Adam all the way until today. Every man uh, has lust, anger, hunger, laziness, love of power, love of fame. From the time of uh, Karun and all human beings, every human, this, the, the, the desires of the nafs can be used for good or can be used for bad. Okay. So the, all the desires of the nafs, they can be used both ways. So it's up to shari- Sharia is the one that, that gives us tahzib, okay, for this, tahzib. So that's the nafs. We all have it. You can't control it. Right. Now what about... The hawa. Hawa is, is something that you make up. It's an idea that, that you, someone conjured up that has never come before. So it's not like you can find a precedent in the 1800s or the 1700s or in the time of Nuh or the time of Ibrahim or the time of the Sahaba. Something totally new. Okay? That's what we call al-hawa. And al-hawa is something that we conjure up in our minds. It's not something that's a jibilla. Jibilla means like you're created with it. Okay? That's the difference. So, al-hawa is, 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 is something that it comes to a generation and some people make things up. And of course, the hawa can be with all the rulings. It could be permitted and it could be forbidden or it could be discouraged or it could be recommended. Okay? So, for example, a tool by which you can keep in touch with your parents. It's recommended. Right? Uh, well, that wouldn't even be Hawa. That's just like an invention. But Hawa, for example, for the Muslims that wore fez caps a while back, the whole Ummah was wearing these, these tall fez caps. It's a permissible Hawa. There's nothing wrong with it. Right? But a Hawa of, for example, um, getting earrings or wearing tons of jewelry for men. This is Hawa that's Muharram. It's something that people like, but it's Haram. So that's the difference between nefs uh, Now here's something else about nefs walhawa. Is that the nefs, because it's not from you, people find it easy to admit that they're stuck on it or they're guilty of it. Like people easily admit, I'm, I can't stop alcohol. I can't stop looking at women. People can easily admit that. And they know it's wrong. And they try to get away from it. They repent from it. You can find a lot of people repenting from these types of sins. Okay? But the hawa, because it's your invention... And it's your idea. People like, people insist on defending their ideas. So that's why one of my teachers told me, it's very rare to find sahib hawa repent from his innovation. Once, once a person gets onto some innovation, some crazy idea, it's very hard to get them off of it. Why? Because he invented it. So he stuck to it, right? No matter how much evidence you give him, he's, he's, he'll cling on to it for dear life. So that's just a difference between nafs and hawa. And that's also the difference between, uh, uh, what we said here, is the fath and the nasr. Okay? I also want to point to you the difference between tawadu wa dhul. Tawadu is, is humility. Okay? Tawadu is humility. And it's, it's that you have the opportunity. The difference is you have the opportunity to rise. You have something that would make you maybe be arrogant. But you don't be arrogant. You, you humble yourself. 
So requ- required in tawada is the ability to be arrogant. Adhul is the inability to ever rise up. You're down. You're meek. That's what dhul is. So the difference is that the, someone who has no money, no uh, wealth, no knowledge, no looks, no lineage, he's got absolutely nothing. This person cannot be humble. Right? There's nothing to be humble about. You have to have something to be humble about. Okay? That's what you need. You need something to be humble about. Okay? So that person's meek. That's adhul. He's meek. Okay? So that's the difference between a tawadu and a The Prophet had a lot to be able to, to be arrogant about. No, 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 no. Don't touch that camera. Down him. Down him. Down him before we put you back in the cage. We're back in the pig pen. Okay? So that's the, the difference between these two terms. Then you have, for example, faqir and miskin. A faqir, he's hand to mouth. He's got nothing, right? The miskin is somebody who he has, but it's not enough. And what do we consider not enough? He doesn't have a year's security of provisions. So, example, you got a full-time job, and you got a, someone who's telling you he's going to give you a salary every month. That's like security, right? Or the days of the farmer, for example. He's got, he, he looks outside, and he's got food for like a year and a half, two years, three years, right? That's security. So the one who doesn't have any of that, okay? He doesn't have any of that. That's someone who is miskeen. And you can give him zakah. He doesn't have one year's provision or security. That's the idea of the miskeen. So, that, those were some, you know, little Arabic vocabulary. Um, yeah. All right, next, hadith on the humility of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Sammani Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is Samiatu Yusuf ibn Abdullah ibn Salam qal. سماني رسول الله صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم يوسف وأقعدني في حجره ومسح على رأسي سبحان الله interesting prophet صلى الله uh, a man sahabi by the name of Yusuf ibn Abdullah ibn Salam and of course Abdullah ibn Salam was the Jew who became Muslim right he was a, he was he was a uh, uh, Rabbi, very honest rabbi, and he entered Islam. When he gave birth, he submitted his boy. He showed his boy to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. What did the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam do? He said, he selected the name Yusuf for me. He put me in his lap, and he used to rub my hair, head. Okay. So the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam had the humility to handle and to treat uh, children. You know, to be nice to children. This is something that. A busy CEO would never do. A, a king would never have time for this, right? And that's not his son. It's not his grandson. It's someone else's. But he took care of doing that. And here, the Prophet ﷺ, in this hadith, it shows from that humility. It's a type of kibr to say, oh, I don't deal with that class of people, right? Like little kids. Okay. So he had no problem putting an infant on his lap. Okay. Today... We do have some, you know, this is the time where they trusted each other. Today you touch another, you know, baby in the masjid and people are going to get, 
worried, so you have to keep that in mind too. You can't touch people's kids anymore, like uh, and touching in the sense of holding him, etc. You know, um, doing all those things, like holding a child. You have to be very careful. You got to know the parents just to give you some information. I know that sometimes we get guests or shiuch or some elders. They come from other countries where everyone trusts everybody. Like they don't have, they never had a crisis of molestation. Now maybe they had molestation, right? They may have had problems, but it was never a movement. That's the difference. Like it was never something where there was attention raised, which is, that's not good. It should be. If, if it's happening under the rug, someone should, you know, expose it so that everyone's careful to stay away from this. But in, the, in a lot of countries, that stuff, it, it, it exists, but it has never come to the surface as a social movement where now we're all aware and I don't want anyone touching my kids. I don't trust anybody. Like that's how it is here in America. So you got to keep that in mind too. As much as you want to emulate, emulate the Prophet Wasallam, he was practicing in a certain, he was doing this in a certain circumstance where it was totally acceptable. Not only acceptable, they, they wanted him to hold their babies, etc. If you trust somebody, no problem. But if you don't know the parents and you don't know that they're okay with this, stay, keep your hands off people's kids. So you have to understand that there's a time and a place and a circumstance for all these hadith and they all have to be put together. Daydreaming of Autumn says that, is asking about that meekness is dhul. Dhul is meekness. Okay, so remember, in order to be humble, you need to have something to be humble about. Okay, Surgeons need to be told to be humble. This is, they have a, what they call a God complex. Philosophers have a God complex. They're so smart. Surgeon literally is cutting people up and sewing them together so they have like an arrogance. So the more you have all the real estate uh, guys, oh my gosh, these are really arrogant guys, right? Because they got to boss around contractors all the time. They got uh, workers that they, like construction workers are not easy. When you deal with these people, and I saw a guy, he's a very pious Muslim, but I, when I saw him at work, I almost like was laughing from shock of how nasty, how vicious he talks to these construction workers, right? If, he's like, there's no other way to talk to them. You got to become basically a gang leader and, and, a, and a killer, okay? So I actually had ended up asking for him how much he could curse, in, in the Sharia, because he was like, it cannot possibly, you cannot work with these people except every three words has to be a curse. They would just won't respect you. And believe it or not, the, uh, the answer I got was that as long as the curse does not involve an accusation of zina, like mother this or that, because that implies zina, and you're not allowed to accuse someone of zina. Uh, we have a very practical religion, subhanAllah. That, that in that situation, it's like a darura, dire necessity. That's the urf of the, that culture of people. That's how you have to be. So, I mean, he was gonna, probably going to curse whether I told him or not because he's a pragmatist. But nonetheless, uh, I did share with him and he said he's going to refrain from the curses that are accusation of zina. I find this hadith interesting because I was just literally in this predicament with, with uh, my son here who has a runny nose. Yeah, subhanAllah. 
Imagine if, if imagine if I had read that hadith while leaving him to cry. <laughs> Be like, all right, wrap up nothing but facts. We're all monafics. We're not practicing what we preach here. Oba, thank you. Joke So, by the way, Habib, I I'm, I'm very close to coming to a decision that we may uh, ask the tenants to move on. Oh, really? They, they, they're, they're cooking, you know. It just... As soon as you walk in. I even, there was a child who walked in. He said, oh, the Dawah Center smell, right? I don't want that smell. So I'm actually very close to asking them maybe at a certain time, you know, I'll give them a notice and find yourself a place. And I'll give them money too. Like I'll give them, uh, I'll, I'll pay the down payment for what they have to do. Huh? No, with these guys, I'll just tell them, you know, by the end of the summer or something like that. And I'll tell them I'll help you with the down payment because I don't want them to leave with bad, uh, you know, bad feelings. Yeah. But first, we're going to have to do the couple November fundraisers first so that we don't need their rent anymore. So we go on to the next one. Someone is asking, what is Orf? Orf. It is the customs of the pious Muslims, which means that it's things where Sharia has not said halal or haram. It's up to the judgment of people. And, and the people that we trust their judgment are the people who are near to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, meaning simply they pray in the mosques. They show up for the mosques, they're, they're, uh, in the, for the prayers in the masjid, things like that. Here. Thanks. Next hadith says, عن أنس بن مالك أن رجلا خياطا دعا رسول الله صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم a sewer, uh, a, a sewer. What's the word for a sewer? A tailor. A tailor. Someone who, who, who makes clothes. Very tough job, by the way. Oh, what did he do? Wow. Wow, Muhammad, are you just taking over the entire live stream today? <laughs> okay. So he said he, he's a tailor that... Uh, invited the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam فَقَرَّبَ مِنْهُ ثَرِيدًا عَلَيْهِ So he brought the Prophet peace be upon him ثَرِيد which is like I guess it's like um, bready, a bready uh, mix and on top of it was like squash okay uh, uh, um, squash is it's a starch. I guess starch is a branch of vegetables, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. So he then, as the Prophet وسلم, loved to eat dubba, which is gourd or squash. And he began eating it. So Enna said, after that, I put squash on all my food. Right? I wanted to put squash on all my food. Tharid, he says, is it's bread that is wet with a gravy. And then on top of that, you put squash. Okay? So it is, uh, was, is it a sunnah? The Prophet Sallallahu said, this is sunnah? No. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that you have reward if you eat this? No. 
But the Sahaba, they did not need this to motivate their actions. They loved everything about the Prophet, peace be upon him, and as a result of that, imitated it and ate exactly what he, whatever he ate. Whatever the Prophet uh, ate, they wanted to eat it. One Sahabi even said that, uh, uh, he said that, uh, I know the Prophet ate watermelon, but I didn't eat watermelon because I didn't know how. Like, I, how did the Prophet eat it? Did he cut it up in pieces and eat it? Because they had knives. Did he slice it and eat it like this? So he said, uh, uh, I'm look, he's searching for how did the Prophet eat it so he could imitate that. SubhanAllah. None of this is Sharia rulings. This is, it's, it's their love. They love the Prophet, peace be upon him. That's it. That's all it is. And, and isn't that maybe even greater of a motive than doing something just because you're personally going to benefit? Because we're admitting there's no hasanat in eating squash. But you're doing it because you love the Prophet. So you're doing it for someone else. You're not doing this for yourself. Whereas if I recite the tasbih 33 times, that's for myself. So that followership of the sunnah is for myself. And the followership of what is not listed as a righteous deed. It's just something the Prophet did in this world. That's going to be rewarded with love back from the Prophet there's a famous principle the reward has to be to be from the same category as the deed so if what prophet loves us okay or if we we're doing an act just for the love of the prophet do you think he's not going to reciprocate that is not the reward of excellence excellence okay so that's the concept and the idea of imitating something the prophet did as a worldly thing, not as a good deed. Muhammad Tari Ajana. Astajana? Next hadith. Qila li Aisha. A woman named Amra said, she is a friend of Sayyidah Aisha. She said, it was said to Aisha. What did the Prophet, peace be upon him, do in his house? She said, He was just a person. Yani, subhanAllah. He was a human being. Okay? SubhanAllah. He was a person like anybody else. Okay? He removed lice from his clothes he milks goats move lice from his clothes okay and he did all the work for him himself okay he did work for himself so this means that his behavior in his house was the normal behavior anyone else would do so this is not a king that had people serving him again the prophet contradicted that he did not want to live like these elites who don't do anything. There's also a lot of weakness in that, first of all. There's weakness. If you never do normal things, how do you relate to normal people? So you got to do normal things at a normal schedule. You never went and bought milk. Most millionaires out there don't buy milk. They have someone takes care of the whole house for them. Okay? So how do you know what regular life is like? You don't know what life is like, right? If you don't actually do normal life things. He did not have pride or feel ashamed to do housework or fulfill needs. In some ahadith, 
Examples of the chores are also given, such as mending a garment, mending shoes, repairing sandals. All right. It also mentioned removing bugs or lice from clothes. Okay. So all of these things the Prophet ﷺ used to do without any concern, without any fear that this is going to decrease from his rank in the eyes of people because he is not the creator of that rank in the eyes of people. That's the point. All other mutakabirin, they are the creators of their image. They want to create an image. They want to create for themselves like a status. They want to create this for themselves. So they have to maintain it. I want to create for people, okay, uh, you know, this, uh, this aura. The Prophet ﷺ did not do any of this. Had no concern for this. The aura that he had with the Haiba was created by Allah. The status he had in the hearts of people was created by Allah. Therefore, all he has to do is obey Allah. And this is how Allah wants us to live. He's not like the way of the mutakabirin and the arrogant. Just live like anybody else. Right. All right, let's um, now turn to YouTube. Open up. Instagram, Facebook, all of these things, and see what's going on. We are live on everything, so let's see who you have. Open up your Q&A right now. Anyone who wants Q&A, you want to bring up a discussion point, you can bring it up now. Okay. Let's go to the Facebook and see what is going on on Facebook. There are already two comments on Facebook. Because we always ignore the poor Facebook guys. I'll tell you why. is because Mark Zuckerberg made it really complicated to use. You open it up, there's a thousand little gadgets and buttons. Okay? And your eye just, just gets overwhelmed. All right. So let's go to... Who do we got? So, hey, how do I look? Oh. <laughs> so, hey, is just being funny, I guess. Uh, Bina says, are there things that are haram to ask in a dua? And the answer to that is... Yes, that there are certain things that are forbidden to ask in a du'a, and there are certain things that are uh, forbidden in themselves and forbidden in, uh, maybe not in themselves, but the fact that you're asking it. And I'll explain that. When you're making du'a, it is, of course, forbidden to ask for something that is forbidden to do. It's also forbidden to ask for harm against somebody else. Right? Now, what is not forbidden is that if, if it's like implicit that there's harm on somebody else. Like, for example, when Umar ibn Abdul Aziz said, I wanted to become the Khalifa. How is he going to become the Khalifa? Doesn't somebody have to die first? Yeah, people have to die in order for him to be the Khalifa, right? So that being the case, you don't have to worry about the middle. All that matters is, is what, you, uh, what you're asking for, that that be something permitted and halal. For example, if, you, if there's one job and you're making du'a to get that position, but there are 20 other applicants. Does that not imply that 19 applicants won't get the job? Right? You're not accountable for that aspect of things. You're only accountable 
for the end goal that you're asking as a dua. Okay. So, of course, it's harm, harm on people and the, the haram. You can't make dua that one day I want to drink wine. One day I want to accidentally think it's grape juice and drink wine because I want to taste what it's like. I want to one day uh, think it's appetizer, but it's actually champagne, so I get to taste and feel what drunkenness means without getting sins for it. So that would be haram for do, and I don't think anyone really does that. But that is haram for somebody to do. Well, sometimes we do sort of pray to, to see somebody, to meet somebody, and it may be a minor sin. It may be khalwa or something like that. So that uh, is something to keep in mind. Now, what is not haram in itself, but it's a mockery of dua, and it's just, it's like null and void. And that is making dua for something that is mustahil adatan. What, is the, what does that mean? Mustahil adatan means that in the what we call laws of nature or the ways in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the world that we try to negate those right so for example we ask we make dua that we can levitate or something like that like I want to be able to defy gravity or, or live without sleeping or live without eating or live without drinking so these things are mustahil adatan adatan meaning in the common creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we don't see any of this we need to do the opposite so to make dua for those things, is, it's, it's a type of mockery, it's a type of nonsense, and nonsense is not appropriate when you're speaking to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But that's it. What can you make dua for? Something that you have no clue how it would ever happen. You're allowed to make that dua. Sayyidina Zakariya made that dua. You're allowed to make dua for something where I cannot fathom or see what has to happen. Right? You're allowed to make that dua you're allowed to make a dua of something that you could not possibly ever achieve with your own power as it is now. You are allowed to make that kind of dua. So I hope that answers the question on what is forbidden to make a dua. What else is forbidden in dua? We can't say forbidden as in sinful, but it's the inappropriate way. It is makru and it is a negation of dua, which is essentially uh, to give up on a prayer. Or to, to make a prayer with your tongue, believing that Allah won't, won't do it or can't do it. That's actually forbidden. If you're going to turn to the subject of dua, and you're going to turn to dua, you have to have the absolute certainty by the command of the Prophet, peace be upon him. Pray to Allah Ta'ala while certain of the answer. Call on me and I'll answer you. Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala said this. So the default of dua is that Allah answers it. And the, 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 preconditions of, the preconditions of dua is that you're certain that Allah will answer it and you believe he has the power to do it and the generosity to do it. Because you can believe he has the power but not the generosity. You can believe that um, it's possible but he won't give it to you. So you can't have any, you have to be absolutely certain, have no doubt about it. Yet at the same time, in the process of dua, what we were saying is that um, you have to have certainty. Oh, at the same time, you have to be absolutely consistent in your dua. The Prophet, peace be upon him, said, if you quit, that is the only time when your dua is not answered because you quit the dua. You said, I, I prayed and I didn't get an answer. You quit. So, you will get an answer as long as you don't rush it. They said, what is rushing? They said, to quit the dua. Now, as for the topic of how dua is answered, 
So we know that dua is answered in three ways. It's answered by giving you what you want. It's answered by removing a harm. And it's answered by that Allah keeps it for you on the day of judgment. And that's the greatest one of them. But it's, what's important to know is that whenever your prayer is answered, you will know because you'll be happy and you will no longer be attached to what you're seeking. Either you get it, which is fine. That's what we all want, right? Or something else. We get something else or saved from something worse in such a way that we ourselves admit, I would rather have this than have what I asked for. So you yourself will be satisfied. So when you are answered in one of these three ways, okay, then at that point, you, the, the ijabah is your happiness, that you're satisfied. I'm totally satisfied. Now what about that you don't get it, but it's saved for you on the day of judgment? Those are usually the prayers that we make that we're not fully attached to it right here for, or that we've moved on from it, okay? That Allah has diverted us away how many of us, in, in our ni- when we were 19 years old, we made a dua? Do you even remember what it was? And maybe it wasn't answered. Allah has diverted you away from it. So Allah will not leave someone who's praying for something. He will not leave them to be unsatisfied for life. So he diverts you away from it. You forgot about it completely. That's his rahmah because he saved that dua for you for later. Also, if a, if a dua is, is made and accepted, if you made a dua 10 times, it's answered on the 10th time. Nine times, that, that is saved for you on the Day of Judgment. Okay, so don't think that because my dua is answered, I got nothing on the Day of Judgment. No. Nine times. No, there's nine other prayers that you made. They could be used to expiate sins, to block something bad from happening to you, or to be saved for you on the Day of Judgment. Okay? Another point is that there are certain duas people make without much attachment. And they're saved for you on the day of judgment. Like what? Oh Allah, free Palestine. It's yes, we're attached to it emotionally, but it's not something like I have to have it right now or I can't survive. The way that people make du'a for a husband or a wife, like it's like I actually need this physically for my life. I need this. Whereas du'a for the ummah, du'a for the khilafah, du'a for Palestine, du'a for the Uyghurs, those are things that we from far away, we we don't have. It's not the same absolute dire necessity so that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will save it for us on the day of judgment that's an example so don't ever imagine that when Allah says I'm going to save it for you on the day of judgment means that I'm going to be disappointed it's not like that I think most of us when we pray for Palestine we all know in the back of our heads we may see that day we may not okay and and and, and as I mentioned before that you may make a dua where uh, you're diverted from it like, we wanted something, I no longer want it. Why don't you no longer want it? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is cool, cooling your heart from it. Save that dua for you for the day of judgment. Okay. So, what's another thing? What is forbidden in dua is to do the opposite of what the Prophet said and start asking yourself this shaitanic question, which is, well, maybe it's not good for me. That's not your business. That's your business afterwards, not before. If you do that in the middle of a dua, you've guaranteed your dua will not be answered. You have caused it. And some people say that, like, oh, don't be disappointed. Oh, I don't want you to be disappointed. Maybe it's not good for you. While he's making the dua. No, you should say that after the dua. Okay? After making the dua, you should say that. After, after the result, I mean, sorry. After the result has come. So, I didn't get the job. Now I can start believing, oh, it was bad for me. It was not good for me. Or there's another option. Well, it could apply again next year 
as long as there's room for action, you don't stop. When, so when is it that we say that, oh, it, it wasn't good for us or it wasn't meant to be? If it's something terminal, something that can, there's no, the door of action is permanently closed. Like death. Oh, Allah, save my grandma from dying. Cure her from her sickness. Then she dies of cancer. Okay, that's something that Allah had willed. The door is closed for that. That's when you can say that was better. Her death is better than her living. That's where you should say that. Okay. But you shouldn't say that as long as the door of action is open. If the door of action is open, then the door of drought should stay open and you should act. You shouldn't be some simply just praying. For example, many people ask, I want to marry a sister. Okay, did you go talk to her dad? Did you ask her sister to have your sister talk to her sister? Right? Do you go to the same place that she was at so at least you can cross paths? She knows who, she, who you are? Like, there's no action here. You can't, that dua is not just something that Allah is going to send an angel to do the work for you. So that's the, the important things of that, the important concept that if the door of action is open, that is the answer for your dua. Right? Go act upon it. Go do something. So it's very important not to fall for this trick of Iblis of while you're praying that you say something like, uh, it wasn't meant to be. Maybe it's not good, good for me, right? At that point, you're, you're replacing the sunnah. The sunnah is make du'a with certainty. You're making du'a with doubt. And one last thing that I'll say is the karahiyah or the discouragement for du'a in things of chance. Unless it's necessary. What's necessary? Uh, for example, many countries, they, they can only do hajj by lottery system. Let's say that Saudi allows the country to... Um, Saudi allow... Whoa, don't touch that camera. Let's take, for example, Saudi allows 7,000 people to come from a country to make hajj. So if there's 10,000 applicants, it's by lottery. 10,000 people. Uh, 7,000 people. 3,000 won't get it. So you have to make dua. You can make dua for that because that's lottery and chance. That's necessary. But like you're playing games, right? And and it's just chance. The, the dua in that thing is, it's Allahu Alam if that's uh, something that's acceptable. Allah knows best. Why? Because you're rendering some very high spiritual thing, okay? Dua to a game. And that's, there's... It's doubtful about that, and you can ask other, other people about that. All right, that's a quick summary, because we haven't talked about du'a in a, a long time, so um, that was a quick summary on du'a. And if you want to see how close you are to Allah Ta'ala, one of the measures is how much are you making du'a. Does it mean it's not absolutely necessary to have a khilafah in this day and age? No, it is always necessary as farjain at all times. But what I meant to say was that we're making dua for khilafah. We probably in the back of our minds, we know that we may not see it in this day and age, in our lifetime. Okay? So that's something where it's a type of dua where the attachment to it is not so immediate in our personal lives. That's a type of dua that we may say that is going to be um, uh, saved for us on the day of judgment. What is the best time to pray to Hajjud? So set your alarm for 40, 45, 30 minutes before Fajr. And try to, to, to recite the Quran like from, from, uh, from long surahs. So the way you do it is you pray two short rakahs. Let's say, In the next two rakahs, you make them long. 
like five, six, seven pages of Quran recited per rakah. And then after that, you pray your witr, one rakah. And then you do some salawats on the Prophet ﷺ. Then you lay down. And then you wait until it's absolutely certain that Fajr is in. Okay? And you may slightly doze off. And that very light sleep does not require wudu in the Madiki method. Very light sleep. Okay? And then you get up and pray two rakahs, raghiba, and then Salat al-Fajr. Raghiba in the Madiki Madhab is not with a surah, it's just Surah al-Fatiha, that's it. There's no surah after Surah al-Fatiha. Alright, questions now. Is it okay to do dua that you want to be brought back from the dead? If Isa comes to help him. That is what we're saying is making dua for what is mustahil aqlan, uh, mustahil adatan. It's very important to understand this, this concept. Mustahil adatan. Adatan. It's impossible or it's not from the, the, the sunan and the habitual ways in which Allah created the world, which the secular world may call laws of nature. We don't say they're laws we, because there's nothing a law about it. It's just how Allah created things, right? He cannot have created it that way and he can suspend it. We believe that. So we believe in miracles, but to be asking for that is not the way of the Prophet Okay, So we don't ask for things like being resurrected from the dead. You're not allowed to ask something like that. When you make a dua in dire necessity, it's basically to keep going. You, when you make a dua, you have to continue. So when you enter the realm of dua, and you say, I'm going go, to go and dua, number one, you have absolute certainty, Allah is going to answer you. You have no doubt about that, and you continue. You don't stop. If you stop, okay, then that's the reason. Now, if you lose interest in the thing, that's fine. But I don't like the concept of losing interest in something, okay? Because next time you get really interested in something, maybe you're going to become whimsical again. So the most successful people are people who make up their minds pretty quickly, Right, but when they make up their mind, they never leave it. Like they never leave it. You want to be that type of person. When you make up your mind to do something, you never leave it off, even if it takes years. Okay. Dino says, Hadith mentions a test on the day of judgment. Allah will come in a surah other than the surah which they saw him the first time. Okay. Are all the surahs a test and also this means that Allah Ta'ala will create will will create an image of a form. Okay. That's what, what it means. It does not mean that they, Allah will transform himself into form because that's impossible. Okay. That is uh, it's contradictory to what we know explicitly about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which he does not do hulul. He does not take on forms, f- shape shifting. So when Allah co- he says he comes in an image means his command. Yes, his command comes in an image that they're not used to. Or he creates for them an image. Same with the sound. When, when Allah speaks, do we not hear him? We, were, we will hear him. But what we will hear is a created sound. Next question. I've been trying to talk about my parents about hijab, she says. And they have pointed to Sa'ad al-Din al-Hilali. Don't listen to him. It's just, she's Egyptian. 
and they're listening to Egyptian TV, and that's why it's misguidance. It's misguidance. I'm telling you. He says it's not fart. Every scholar that I know in Egypt, all the scholars that I know, okay, they dismiss all of his fatawa. Um, you will have to disobey your parents in this, but you have to disobey them in the respectful way. Okay? Disobey your parents in a respectful manner. Learn this concept of civil disobedience because the disobedience of the parent is fard in a matter that Allah made fard. Okay? So you find a way and learn. Just like you're learning Islam today and you're learning how to wear hijab, etc., and your parents learned the fatwa of Sa'ad al-Hilali, and you learned what is actually the ruling in Islam, you also must learn something new. Respectful disobedience. And it is fard upon you in a matter that Allah has explicitly, in all the madhahib, made an obligation. There is no opinion on this. Okay? If someone says, I don't want you to pray fajr, your mother says, I want you to study for you have SAT tomorrow, or you have an SAT, or you have a... Uh, an uh, MCAT tomorrow, I don't want you spraying fudge. You, you bring a bottle of water in your room, a towel. You set your alarm on vibrate so she doesn't hear it. You pray without disrespecting her. So this is civil, and it is the only time, the only time that it is fart upon you, or even permissible. But this case is not permissible, it's fart. So this sister here, uh, Enzi, you're obligated at this point to respectfully disobey them in this matter. Okay, And I, I, I don't go with the route of, well, I'll just wear it outside the house and sneak it. It's not going to work. Just openly say it. Whether that means you're waging World War II, World War III, whatever you want to wage. You just very politely, I, I'm informing you. You want to send it in a letter. You want to put an email because you're, it's very hard to awkward to confront your parents. But you tell them that I will from now on um, be wearing hijab. I'm hijabah right now. And I'm just letting you know. And I don't want to hurt your feelings. So you do a bad news sandwich, which means I love you so much. You're my parents. I respect everything, you do, but I'm afraid of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And all of the ulama have said, that this is fart. Saad al Hilali's fatwa is rejected. Uh, very simply, there is no fatwa when we have a nas. Okay? We have an explicit command. And I wish that you would have supported this, and I believe that you will support me. Okay? And then you closed your letter like that. But you just you, you be aware that you're obligated to go that route in life. And by the way, I know many people who did that. I know many women, not like I know them, but I know of them in the community. Their parents were against hijab and waged World War III. They did it. They're flesh and blood, no different than you. So you can do it too. Okay. I wouldn't go the secret route. Don't go the secret route. Right. Be open about things.
Their argument is that it's not fard. So by doing it, I would be disobedient to them. No, they are incorrect about that. It is fard. With ijma'ah. Is it okay to look up at the sky when making du'a? Yes, it is. Did you do your PhD under Muhammad Abdul Halim? Not directly. He was not my direct supervisor, but he was essentially him and Gavin Pickin were the real people that I learned how to do a PhD from. Because my PhD uh, supervisor, she was she she got really sick, and so she wasn't coming in as much. Hanifa S. Doesn't the Quran mention yes in multiple surahs in Nur surah al Hazab? Enzi, uh, you don't have to push it and keep showing them videos. You just simply say, this is fart. Uh, this is what I'm doing. Good. This is what I believe. This is what I'm doing. But you have to be very respectful about it. I, I would say that writing it is probably easier. And then they're going to call you for a meeting and have interventions. But I'm telling you, many women have done it in the past. They're flesh and blood just like you. They have nerves just as you do. They have feelings just as you do. If they could do it, you could do it. And if you, and this is something that Allah will help you in. By the way, I'm telling you something that I've never done before, but I'm telling you firsthand that I know people who went that route in life. And they were sat down and we have meetings and bring in the uncle and bring in this and bring in that person and bring in the grandma. I've seen it all. Like I've heard it from people directly who had that. They did it. Dino says, when I'm praying to Hajjud and want to make the pray lo- prayer long, can I read from the phone? But can I read the transliteration? I don't believe that that will invalidate your prayer because it is permitted to read from the Mus'haf. So if you have an aid and you're capable of reading, but you, what you do have to know is that what you're reading, you don't have to know what you're reading. It shouldn't be like, it's the first time I'm reading it because that will cause extra hesitation and action in the prayer that may invalidate the prayer. Okay. Rida ahabbana Allahu ahabbana alladhi ahbabtana fi. How to make prayer long if we don't have much Quran memorized says Lily Poppy. You can uh, recite from the Mus'haf. So you should have a table next to you a respectful location next to you, like a table or a nightstand or whatever, and you open the mushaf like this to the page that you want to write, but recite from before you open the prayer. And you keep, so you don't flip in through pages. And then after Surah Al-Fatihah, you pick up the mushaf and you read from it. Then you then you put the bind, uh, the, the bookmark, you close the mushaf and you put it back. Then you go into Rukwa Sujood and then you come up again and do it again. Telling you if you want to be beloved to Allah Ta'ala, do tahajjud and make the tahajjud strong. By reciting from the Quran, like a couple pages each rakah. Anybody who's out there in New York or Long Island, I'll be in Long Island this week, inshallah, this Friday. So if we, any of you are from Long Island, let me tell you exactly where it is. All right. The masjid is called Masjid and Nur in Long Island. Masjid. And Nur. I th- well, technically, it's called Masjid Nur, which, how, I don't know, but it's Masjid and Nur, it should be. And it is on 1032 Park Ave. 
in Huntington, New York, 1032 Park Ave in Huntington, New York. And I'll be there for Juma, then Brothers Halakha, 6 o'clock, then 745 Community Talk. You want to come? Yeah. Or you come, you got the brothers thing. Yeah, the youth thing. You got the youth thing. That's good. That's no, just Friday. Yeah. Okay, that's good. You should stick to the youth thing. It's really important, man. And you need to train uh, the paisano. You know the paisano? Isn't he your friend? Oh, he's Zogby's friend. Oh, yeah. On the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, receiving our salawat immediately. Since we say the salawats in our prayer, in our obligatory prayer, or and nawafil, are they also presented to him? Yes. Yes. And can we pray... Make the effort in the prayer um, as if the Prophet was watching us. Yes, you may do that because the Sahabi did that. It's not the fatwa that we can give about Salah except from transmission, right? And it's transmitted that it was one of the Sahaba who prayed. He heard the Prophet He heard the Prophet say the takbir and enter the prayer behind him. So he then said, "I beautified my prayer for the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam," meaning that. He beautified his prayer to Allah in the way that would please the Prophet. Would not the Prophet be pleased if he saw you praying to Allah well? That's the idea. That's the concept. So that it's completely separate from Riyadh. has nothing to do with Riyadh. All right, this question says, why do women tend to be more materialistic? I don't, is that their fitter? I don't think that women are more materialistic in their sense, but I do think that they are more inclined to security and and caution and that has to do with them having a ch- having to be the main child's uh, uh, caregivers of children and that begins they have like a nine month head start on men on that because you may say well the dad it's the dad's kid too yeah but the dad didn't carry him in his womb so he's not accustomed to caution right right up until the baby's born he's got no he goes skydiving for all he cares right whereas a woman when she has a baby, now she's got to be cautious how she drives, how she bumps into things, right? Things like that. What she eats, what she consumes. So the caution part, is my, if, if you ask me, it's related to, the, to that aspect of things that we have to protect these because babies are so small and so they're so vulnerable that when, if you ever had a baby, you check in the middle of the night if, that, if he's still alive, right? Like you, you don't know a pillow could have fallen on his head. There's so many, so many little things that could go wrong in the crib. Okay, maybe, I don't know, some, there was a, a, a toy left in there that's on his neck or something like that. You just never know. When they hit one, there are, look, I mean, look at what this little thing is. Who the heck knows what this thing is? It's like comes, uh, the little plastic cover of a USB drive. You could swallow that and choke, okay? You can open up this chocolate and swallow on it and choke when they're one and a half. It's constant, nonstop, making sure this creature is alive, right? So that's the, the origin of that caution comes from there. You start looking at everything from that. Now you start looking at cars. Instead of driving fast, driving safe, right? Uh, traveling, you look at safety. Everything, you just look at food, whatever, every single thing that's in the house. All the Legos. You have a five-year-old kid who plays with Legos? Not anymore when there's a newborn baby, Right? Pack up those Legos, put them in a Ziploc bag, put them in the basement. There's no Legos when there's like a eight-month-old because he could swallow and choke. So that's more important than your fun. So you see how the, 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 the child and the baby is something that creates caution in a person. 
they even say that the family is the coward maker, right? You talk revolution and talk change the world until you have responsibilities that are, of, that are vulnerable, right, and weak. Now all of a sudden, you have to guard them. You can't take risks anymore. So that's probably me. Not, so, it's that, so I don't think it's materialistic. I think it's, it's, uh, it's uh, that caution aspect. If you're talking about materialistic, maybe you, you, it maybe have to do with beauty too because that is a power and a strength and that's a God-given gift to one gender more than the other, right? So if a guy is not handsome, right? He's not going to care what he wears or anything. You can't make it, you can't, he already does not, he's behind the eight ball. But if you're created beautiful and you're the gender that's pretty, by your creation, now you have to augment that. You have to make sure that you keep that up. So maybe that's the other aspect of, of and I'm looking at it from a positive light because you can't really, uh, I think these things that I just said are, are almost universal. You can't really say who's more materialistic and chooses, loves the dunya more than they love anything else because that's so relative, right? That's very relative. I don't think it's gender-based. I think it's just the nature of, of people and their upbringings. Advice for a young adult who has to perform ghusl every morning. Well, if he has to perform ghusl and he's a male every morning, well, it could be for two reasons. Either one, he, this person has a problem with, for example, he ha, not a problem, but he has constant wet dreams. So he's totally innocent for that. The other one is somebody who he has a habit of pleasuring himself and requiring himself to take ghusl. So you have to fight that. There's no other solution to that. You have to fight it. You have to learn better habits. That's, there's, no, there's no solution except struggle. Uh, Mullah Biwaz says, Tajseem. Uh, I'm not going to speak about any scholar in particular unless I see the nuss of what they said. Then we can comment on it. Uh, but Tajseem is to imply that the creator has a body or is made of matter or is in time, or is in a place, uh, physically, at that point, that is Tajseem, and that is Kufr. Okay. Muhammad. Okay. Mm. Eat what? Shukran. All right, five comments here. Let's go to Facebook and see what they have to say. Can you do a dars on Ghazwatul Ajnadain and Yarmouk? Under Khalid ibn Walid. Yes, why not? Okay. Is it forbidden, says Bob Owen, to rape and abuse um, women? It is forbidden. Uh, of course it is forbidden. I don't know what that must be a... Um, maybe he's sarcastic. I'm sure that no one actually thinks that it's not forbidden. But um, Bob Owen in England is talking about that there was a gang of Muslims who were kidnapping British girls and like basically selling them as slaves, right? So that's obviously, that doesn't need comment that that's forbidden in Islam and it's haram completely. Do animals have a soul? It's not like our soul at all. It's not like our soul. They, they do have a, a, a soul that, Make, separates them from plants and rocks. So the rock has the level of consciousness because the rock made tisbiyah in the hands of the Prophet. 
the plant has a higher level of consciousness. The, the animal has a higher level of consciousness. The jinn is above that, and the human is alongside with the jinn. And the angel has a soul but no nafs. They, they don't have ego. So, uh, yes, uh, animals do have something of life, but it's not the same as a human soul. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَنَفَقْتُ فِيهِ مِنْ رُوحِي I blew from my spirit, which means the spirit that I own. And, he, and doesn't Allah own everything? Yes, but it's to honor the soul. When Allah want, wishes to honor something, He says that He, 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 says that, uh, he owns it. Okay. That's how He speaks to honor something. Where, of course, He already owns everything. But He attributes it to Himself. My soul, in other words, a soul that I created and I made, that's how valuable it is that he attributed its ownership directly to himself. So that's the meaning of that. Yeah. Lily Poppy and Snake Juice in the comment section, going uh, back at it. Uh, IYI Bros is asking about anime. I, I just cartoon, I don't know what the content of it is. I know that anime is a style, but you can't really ask me. I don't think that watching cartoons, in a sense, it's the content that matters, right? So what's the difference between that and watching a show? It's the content. If the content is haram, then it's haram to watch. If the content is halal, then it's halal to watch. So that's, that's what I would say about that. So, um, Enzi, back to your question. I don't think you should focus on you should focus on who could harm you more: disobedience of Allah or your parents. Right? The disobedience of Allah is always attached to harm. Which is worse? That harm is worse. So, if you fear somebody, the only way to get over the fear of somebody is to fear something more. Watermelon seven eight six. When Allah says that He is preserving the dhikr. Is that referring to the Qur'an or is it more encompassing than that? The answer is yes. It is the Qur'an and all of the ulum or knowledges required to understand the Qur'an, such as al-aqidah, al-hadith, al-lugha al-arabiyah, al-fiqh, all of the things that uh, are required to, to preserve to the meaning of the Qur'an, the understanding of the Qur'an. Ibrahim Khan, we answered that question about the food, uh, the, the materialistic, yes. Ibrahim Ahmed, is beetle food coloring halal? It is. Um, so, so, so bugs are halal for us to eat. But there's a difference of opinion. First of all. First of all. The, well, the way in which you slaughter... You, you you kill a bug. It does not require slaughtering. It is this the way in which you kill a bug to eat is whatever would take its life away. Okay, there is no way in specific. Whatever would end the life of the bug is all you need. 
But where there's a difference of opinion is that the Shafi'iyah said that it's, it is pure even when dead. So therefore, whether you kill it, a kafir kills it, a cat uh, kills it, the bug is halal for you to eat. You can eat it dead. The Malikiyah had a different opinion. He said, no, death makes it najis. Okay. Therefore, you must have the intent to eat it. So that before killing it, you have to have the intent that I'm going to eat this. So all the, the bugs that are used in food coloring or whatever it is, is halal and shafi standards. And I would highly recommend people use, utilize that because there's food coloring and everything. And our sharia is not one where we're going to be, you know, every little thing we're going to have to look at. Same fatwa I took it that uh, from one of my Madiki scholars on, on vanillin and vanilla extract and things that have in it alcohol. We take the Hanafi ruling on that. Why? Because for us, that would be nejis. The whole thing is mutanejis now. But the Hanafis say, no, not all alcohol is nejis, only grape and wine. Grape and date wine is nedges. Okay. So we have to, we, this is why the, this is something where I believe talfiq is useful and, and, and is not something that is uh, from the nefs because life will become so impractical. Muhammadu, life will become so impractical because every, like this little thing right here. It goes around everyone's in everyone's house. Piece of chocolate. Who knows what the heck's in it, right? You you go to the get the ingredients. There's paragraphs upon paragraphs upon paragraphs. It's not a practical way to live. Okay, make sure your meat is halal. Avoid pork and alcohol. Keep it simple, right? If a parent doesn't pray, says Anza Jamal, what do we do? Uh, well, you, there's nothing really for you to do, to be honest. Just be a good child and make du'a for them. But outwardly, you don't want to push them. You're, we, we, I, don't, I follow Ghazali on this, where he said, we don't give the nasiha to the parents or the elders. We just be a good example and pray for them. Let their peers give them the nasiha. Of course, though, Prophet Ibrahim, he did, though. But look at how he did it, right? With such gentleness and uh, affirming their authority. Anam Jamshed says, I read Islamic books too deeply and it takes me a long time to complete one book. There's nothing wrong with that. Take your time. What's the rush? If someone proposes healing with astrology, is that haram? Healing you with astrology. Like how? You'd have to give me an example. Like if they say to you that on when the sun, when the full moon rises, drink three cups of water. Well, that's not necessarily, that's just, we would, we would not say that that's something that is haram, but we would just say that it's like science, it's like pseudoscience, unless they could prove otherwise, right? And there, science is here, pseudoscience is here. Science can be demonstrated, okay? That's a difference. Pseudoscience is a belief that something will work in this world, but it's never been demonstrated. It's just like a belief. That's a difference. So, uh, acting upon pseudoscience would maximum be discouraged. Can you write the Long Island information here? Sure thing. Masjid Nur. And the address for that is 
1032 Park Ave, Huntington. Okay, Masjid Noor, 1032 Park Ave, Huntington, New York. So that is Long Island. Hamza Hussein, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the Hanafis do not allow reading from the Mus'haf in Salah, and you are correct about that, Hamza. Hamza Hussein is correct about that. They are not allowed to um, open the Mus'haf in Salah. In Nawafil, we're talking about Nawafil, extra prayers. Should it, shouldn't we change our entire view on food from Hanavi to Shafi? I was told we cannot just pick and choose from different madhahib. Yes, we shouldn't just pick and choose from different madhahib. But when the matter becomes absolutely like impossible to figure out and there, there is just requires too much nitpicking, that is a, 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 a haja. It becomes a dire need. Life does, is not the same anymore. I'm not saying that. My shiuch have told me that. Furthermore, even more so, Sheikh Haddamin, the son or the the uh, the one who inherited the position of Murabit al-Hajj in that area in Mauritania what did he say about uh, a Maliki ruling on leather right Maliki what is a Maliki ruling on leather is that tanning permits us to use leather but it's still najis so we have to remove it in salah so that if the tanning when you use leather it has to be the biha leather so if I get a belt or a wallet, it has to be the biha. The leather has to be the biha. If it's not, the tanning of it, it allows us to use it as a rukhsa, but we can't pray with it. Well, Sheikh Haddamin, Murabit Haddamin said, the leather of the world's market today is all mixed up. You can have Italian leather sold in Saudi. You can have uh, Moroccan leather sold in, in the Netherlands. It's all mixed up. It's impossible to know what's what. He said, therefore, it's all halal. You can pray with it. So he lifted that. That's a fatwa from him. Why? Because the circumstance of the world has mixed it all up. Likewise, when it comes to food, the Shafi Madhab is not the easiest in all things. Okay? For example, in Ahlul Kitab, you actually have to trace back the lineage of the Jew and make sure that he was a Jew that descended from Jews that existed in the time of the Prophet. So converts from paganism to Judaism from the time of the Prophet till now, they don't count as Ahlul Kitab. That's also impossible to, to navigate, right? In this day and age. Yeah, Ayyuhal Jew. Were your great grandfathers in the 7th century Jews? Because if not, I'm not going to eat this, uh, this kosher sandwich. It's not happening, right? So there are certain rulings that we should be able to follow. Maliki pro, ruling on prohibiting horse, mule, and donkey. It's unique in the in the four methods, but there's no hardship in avoiding horses, mules, and donkeys. Right? We don't have to eat them. Hanafis, avoiding crayfish and lobster and crab if you're dedicated to your method. That's not a hardship. Like, right? It's not something that is present in all food. It's not something that's present in every single item of food. Uh, Sheikh Rami told me that vanillin is something that has alcohol in it. He was one time in the Badia, the Badia of, Mar- of Mauritania, the deep desert of Mauritania, and there was a package of cookies there, and it had vanillin in it, right? And the shiuch were eating it, right? It's impossible to avoid. Likewise, for example, Sheikh Haddamin also on colognes, 
cologne, it has alcohol in it, right? So therefore, it's najis. And therefore, it cannot be used. What did Sheikh Haddamin say? He said, no, we're not using it as a drink. And it, on top of that, it evaporates away. So it's, it evaporates away. So therefore, he permitted that. So we are not a religion of nitpicking. We have to keep this in mind. That's not the fitrah. That's not the way of the Sahaba lived. That is, in fact, the way of Al-Yahud. It's the way of the Yahud. To have hair-splitting fiqh is not our way. Okay. So when we look at... Um, when we look at talfiq, mixing between madhabs, where it's not acceptable is when you're doing it without a, a, a justifiable reason. You're just totally for your desires. That's where it's not acceptable. Or... That you're putting your mind ahead and saying, no, I think this opinion is better than that one. There's no hardship in life. You could practice it, but you put your mind ahead of right, uh, everyone else's mind and you think you know better. That's not a good practice either. Right. So that's the idea of when it is actually permitted uh, to do talfiq. To do and by the way, I'm sure that within the madhahib themselves, there are, it's not always borrowing from another madhab, Right. Within the madahib themselves, there's probably rukhas in these things. Uh, for example, if the bug, the najasa of the bug, has been heated, right, mashed up and heated as an ingredient and cooked, then, and, and it's no longer a bug, then that, like you look at it, you don't say that's a bug. It's a bunch of powder. At that point, okay, it's, istihala has happened. Okay. You have removed the najasa with fire, or you, or you have altered the substance completely. Not re, you can't remove najasa with fire in the Madiki school. You can in the Hanafi. In the Madiki school, najasa is removed by water, or by heat, a great amount of heat that has completely altered the substance. It's completely altered, and then you put it into the ingredient. So there's nothing najis about that. So even within the Madiki method, we could probably find a way where if these ingredients, these bugs were mashed up, millions of other ingredients were added, and heat was applied, then it was placed inside of a substance, like a cookie or whatever, that it wouldn't be nudges for us. It'd be permitted for us to eat. Ibrahim Khan, on a scale of 1 to 10, how important is looks for a healthy marriage? It's going to be between 7 to 10. And when I say that, I mean by that, uh, that you need to take care of yourself. Like you should, it should be a high priority to make sure you're presentable to your spouse because she may never tell you that she's not attracted to you anymore. But she will never say it. And she might start convincing herself, no, he is attractive. She's just convincing herself because you have nice other nice qualities. So she has to, but that's not a good place to be in. So you should work on making sure that you're presentable, right? And, and attractive. What if someone says here they're insecure about their looks? Well, I believe that a person, you know, sh can be tested with something that they're insecure about. And you have to compensate with something else, right? You got to compensate and make yourself feel good about yourself that you have something else. I can, okay, maybe I don't have that, but I got something else to compensate for it. Okay. And by the way, a lot of things about looks can be changed. Weight can be changed. Scrawny, get a weight machine. There's a lot of things that can be changed about your looks. 
content. But just make the right intention about it. And the intention shouldn't be that I'm vain about myself. Even if it's about yourself, there's some permissibility on, there's a fitra that people like to look decent, right? That, that fitra is acceptable. The Prophet used to look in the mirror. The Prophet told another Sahabi, Allah is beautiful and he loves beauty. So fitra of a human being, that's acceptable for them. Uh, what about I'm a Hanafi to become Maliki just to eat lobster? I don't think that I, I don't know that to me that's um, not something that is I don't would never say it's a misguidance, but uh, it's not technically the talfiq that is acceptable, right? Uh, because but then again, you know, I'm not going to get uh, too deep into that because they're going from something that is an opinion that's valid to an opinion that's valid. Right, and maybe in their family that's all they eat, so maybe they um, have a reason to do that. But even if you didn't have a reason, at the maximum, I would say it's it's not what's preferred, but it's it won't be sinful for you either. But it's not the preferred way of going things. What's preferred is we pick a methodology and we try to stick to it as much as we can, unless there's a dire need or a necessity. Okay. Hello, White is actually in Denmark, right? She goes to Denmark and she's in Canada. Interesting. Nice to know where people are. Random user says, what's the best first step towards repentance? Toba. Regret. Regret your action. And be- believe that you did wrong. Say words and do actions of repentance. Toba. And then uh, start committing not to go do it again. That's how you do Tawbah. Umm Maryam says, We read that denatured alcohol is okay in perfume in Hanafi fiqh. Yes, it is. Because the Hanafis do only consider two types of alcohol to be najis. Wine, a grape, and date wine. All other forms of alcohol may be forbidden to get drunk on, but they're not najis in themselves. Okay. So that's the answer to that. Our looks, when I'm getting married, is looks just the face? No, it's not the face. But then again, a, a, a woman, the Quran says she's going to cover her body. Illa ma dhahara minha. What is ma dhahara minha? It is her height, for example. Like hijab will not cover her height. Uh, her width, for like shoulder, it's not going to cover. Hijab will not cover that. Look at the hands, look at the face. So body does have value, especially after you get married, you want to make sure that you take care of yourself. Um, but that's the, um, what a person, before they get married, that's what they're going to see. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, illa minha. certain things hijab will not cover, right? Hijab will not cover your height and your shoulder, arm length, things like that, hijab will not cover. So those are things that a person would consider before marriage. And our, in our religion, um, yeah, there will be certain things you don't know about the woman before you marry her. And that's, that's part of life. That's part of our religion. You won't know what her stomach looks like. She won't know what your stomach, the skin looks like. She just won't know that, right? She won't know what your back looks like. That's, that's part of our life, all right? Do we consider genetics? Yes, consider genetics. You can, you're allowed to, and the prophet mentioned that. Mm-hmm. 
All right, let's now take a look at another question which says, What is the ruling on eating the meat slaughtered by Ahlul Bid'ah? There is a difference of opinion on it, on whether we accept their slaughters or not. Okay. Sophia says, Can we advise on the responsibility for adult children to take care of their divorced mother? Is it the same for sons and daughters, married or single? Uh, the, the maintenance of the mother is on the sons. And if it's if the sons cannot fulfill it, then the son-in-law fulfills it. So the son-in-law, the mother has rights over the son-in-law. The mother-in-law and the son-in-law, they have he has rights over her. Like he he's obligated to help his daughter fulfill her obligation of taking care of the parents. So it's it's the it's the sons first though. Abdullah says, what's your opinion on Andrew Tate converting to Islam? Is there an opinion to have? He has to convert to Islam. It's his duty. It's your creator. You have to submit to him. Right? That's one thing. How he behaves is another thing. Right? Like, what he did in the past is another thing. Right? What he's going to do in the future will show whether that Islam is sincere or not. I would say, listen, if, if I had a message to him, listen... I want to tell you one thing, like you're a UFC fighter, you're a tough guy and everything. You are now submitted to Allah. You don't mess around. You respect the rules, okay? Respect the rules and delete all your porn business, whatever it is, business that he used to do, delete it all if you have respect for this God and for this word that you just uttered. And let me tell you, all right, um, if... Any word that you say that you're advising people how to live, which he was before, giving philo you know philosophies about life and how to live. I, I never watched except one clip of Andrew Tate. Just one clip that I saw. So I don't know what else he says. But I know a lot of women don't like it. They feel like he antagonizes guys to be mean to their sisters. Like biological sisters in their home. That's what some people told me. I would say any time that you speak from now on, it has to be from a lens of God and his prophet. And I would highly recommend learning before talking, right? And earning some credit, credibility as a Muslim in the community before talking. But most importantly, forget all that. Delete all that porn business of yours and repent from it, okay? If you're sincere to this word that you just said. But as for like, oh, he became Muslim, should we be happy or not? His is obligation. He has to become Muslim. We are all obligated to, to submit to our creator. There's no discussion on that, right? I don't know. What is the brother's responsibility over the sister? Well, first of all, the sister's responsibility is her dad's first in the absence of the dad. And the absence of the dad does not mean, for example, the death of the dad. It means, let's say they're both on campus. She's 18, he's 20, and they're in college. So in, the dad can't be there. The dad's at work. So in that situation, he just has to ensure that uh, her safety okay, and her needs. He has to make sure for that. Right, that those things are taken care of. Then if the dad dies and she's still young, the older brothers ha have to maintain the sisters. and uh, So maintenance is food, clothes, protection, etc. And then even if he's a younger brother, he would still have to do that. Okay. 
How many Sunnah prayers are there for the Hanafis? The Hanafis have, uh, I believe it's 12. Two before Fajr, four before Dhuhr, four after Dhuhr. I don't know about the four before Asr, if they consider that Sunnah Mu'akkad. I don't think so. And then two after Maghrib, two after Aisha, Shafa, and Witr, of course, is Fard. Khala White says, 18% alcohol in vanilla extract. Is it permissible? Yes, according by Hanafi fiqh, it is permissible. I've been using Daisy vanilla extract instead. In, in Hanafi fiqh, it's permissible. Time check. It is now 3.11. We're going to stop here. Um... Attraction to a look will pass, but good character doesn't. Uh, yeah, I would go with personality is so important. Now, somebody asked me the other day about astrology. Can you marry a, a person or not based upon what you know about their star sign? So that I know that this person is, let's say, I don't know what these things are, right? But let's say the one that's, he's very boring and they're all engineers and they're all like very stoic types of people like that. Yet I'm very excitable, right? I would say no to that. I would say yes, Muhammad, don't touch the screen. Mamadou, you're going to ruin the screen like that. I would say uh, temperament, no, don't touch the screen. Temperament, yes. But there's too many exceptions for these astro astrological signs, right? There are too many exceptions. So I would hesitate to consider that right but i would consider what you see in front of you what their siblings say about them right more than that okay because that's something that's that we have and the astrology thing like you can read it after the fact right like you read these things oh yeah that's me that's fine because that's something you do you see right in front of you sharia wants us to judge by something we see in front of us not a type of pseudoscience or it's not even a pseudoscience it's like an attempt to match up personalities with birth dates and i would just be hesitant that there are a lot of exceptions so i would definitely not reject somebody uh because of that all right ladies and gentlemen we stop here jazakumullah khairan everyone subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta نستغفرك ونتوب إليك والعصر إن الإنسان لفي خسر إلا الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر and our final statement if you want to support this podcast go to patreon.com backslash Safina Society and if you want to study go to ArcView and I will today ArcView is my day today uh, I'll be teaching Madiki Fiqh and then I will be teaching the Sharh of Sahih Muslim so go to arcview.org and we will uh, go to arcview.org, sign up today, and you'll get 40 pre-recorded classes alongside with all of that. Jazakumullah khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.